Whenever I'm here with you, I feel like Barnabas in Acts 11 when he went to Antioch and it says that he saw the grace of God and was glad. Uh, I see so much grace in this church and it fills my heart with such gladness to see uh, a church that's being led so well by faithful pastors uh, and a church in which so many are serving in so many ways. Uh, you, you may not understand and it's difficult for me to communicate the love that I have for you as a church. Uh, if you put yourself in my shoes and try to imagine leading a church and then sending out dearly beloved brothers and sisters to start a new congregation, I have great love for every true church of Christ. I have a special love for our sister churches in Sovereign Grace. And I have a unique place in my heart for those churches that we have been involved in planting. Uh, there is no one that I served with for a longer time in pastoral ministry on the same team and was then sent out to lead a church plant than Joel. And so he is a dear friend to me, an example to me, and it brings me such joy to see how God is blessing this church so richly. I wanna thank you for modeling a culture of grace, the way that you love one another, the way that you uh, dwell in unity together is pleasing to the Lord. And I want to thank you for abounding in the grace of partnership. When we have something like uh, the Life Together Conference that we did or even at the Pastors Conference this last week, it is my great joy to see so many from Redeemer Fellowship who are there. Uh, I rejoice in the work that Everett is doing uh, for Sovereign Grace. Doug Nottage was at the conference serving throughout the entire time. This church brings me so much joy and I want you to know that I thank God for you and I'm very eager to be with you here today and I'd like to invite you to please turn to Psalm 107. Our title is God's Unchanging Love and we together have the privilege of considering this greatest of all themes, the love of God for us. Psalm 107 was one of the psalms the people of God sang when they returned from exile. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It is a joyful psalm. It is a psalm in which there is praising God for his goodness and his love. The unchanging goodness of God. Hear this for those who may be presently in a valley of some kind and facing difficulties of of some kind. The unchanging goodness of God provides the unchanging basis for our unchanging gratitude to God. And I'm praying that God uses this sermon and this morning to bring all of us to a deeper sight of the love of God in Christ and to lead us into a deeper thanksgiving for all his goodness to us. Psalm 107, this is God's holy and authoritative word. And we will read this psalm in its entirety. Psalm 107, beginning in verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, 
whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they were diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks, the upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word. I don't know a lot about the depths of the ocean. I've seen videos narrated by David Attenborough that have captivated me, that have amazed me, that have presented some of the astounding glory of the ocean deeps. But in terms of my own uh, knowledge and experience, I have only spent time on the very edge of the ocean by the crashing waves where my feet can touch the ground at all times. Thank you very much. Uh, to say that I've mastered the ocean, to say that I know all about the ocean deeps would be a joke. The same is true for our knowledge of the unchanging love of God. And it was in fact Martin Lloyd-Jones who gave me this comparison. He once said, we must never fall into the error of imagining that because we are Christians, we, therefore, know all about the love of God. Most of us, he says, are but as children paddling at the edge of an ocean. There are glorious depths in this love of God of which we know nothing. The ocean of God's love is infinitely vast, we have not mastered this love and we never will. We are not friends. We are not experts in the love of God. No, we are children paddling at the edge of an ocean. His love for us is so great and this gospel so glorious that we will never exhaust its depths. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, our chief defect as Christians, you wonder how he's going to finish that sentence, our chief defect, our main problem and defect as Christians is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. How often have you thought about this? We spend time thinking about our activities and our problems, but the most important necessity in the Christian life is to know Christ's love to us. This is true. Our 
chief defect is that we do not sufficiently understand and enjoy and rest in the unchanging love of God for sinners. One of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture is that great prayer in Ephesians 3 where Paul says he bows his knees and prays for a mighty outpouring of spiritual power in the hearts of God's people. Why? So that we might have strength to comprehend more of the breathtaking riches of the love of God for us. The assumption behind that prayer is that those original recipients and Christians everywhere do not sufficiently appreciate the staggering glory of the love of Christ. His love is broad enough to spread to all nations. His love is long enough that he has loved us before the foundations of the world and will go on loving us to all eternity. His love is high enough that all of heaven and earth will praise him. His love is deep enough that it reaches even to the greatest of sinners. Great is his steadfast love. And Psalm 107 is therefore addressing our chief defect. It is addressing the most important necessity in the Christian life to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And God does intend for this psalm to have a very specific impact and effect in our lives today. That we would leave changed in a very specific way and that is that God intends for this psalm to deepen our knowledge of his great love and to then catapult us into a life of thanksgiving. His intent is that the redeemed of God whatever their circumstances, would rise up and sing of the goodness and the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord. You say, my life is very difficult and I do not see anything to give thanks for. Oh, friends, you have a reason to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. So the reason we are given that we are to praise God is the duration of his goodness and mercy. Here is a steadfast love that endures forever. Here is a love that will never change. God says in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's the love with which he has loved you. Not just loved you, loved you with a steadfast love that endures forever. Loved you with a love that will never let you go. In that familiar Psalm, Psalm 23, it declares that the Lord's goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. His steadfast love endures forever. This call to worship then in verse one, this call to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That call to worship, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed are not to be a 
silent people. They are to be a loud and joyful people. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so because he's redeemed them from trouble. And then verse 3, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from every tribe and tongue, from every ethnicity and nationality, diverse people from diverse places, all with one shared anthem of praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How can those redeemed by the blood of Christ possibly remain silent and unaffected? Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God marvel and rejoice in the riches of this love. And then the entire psalm is a celebration of this unchanging love of God. First, verses 4 through 32, which is the bulk of the psalm, celebrate God's unchanging love in delivering us from sin. And in this section, we encounter, you may have noticed as we read it, we started each section with that word some. There are four pictures of human predicament and divine deliverance. Each picture is a different way of describing the varied effects and consequences of sin in our lives. And each picture displays the riches of God's love for sinners. These pictures are not simply the pictures of God's people of old. These pictures are the stories of our lives and we can relate to each one of them. We see ourselves in these stories. In each one, there is a moment of distress, then there is a cry for help, there is a divine rescue, and there is an exhortation to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Distress, crying out, deliverance, and thanksgiving. The distress comes. The distress comes from that moment of realization that left to ourselves, we are totally helpless and hopeless. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We need to be rescued by another. And this is demonstrated in these four pictures. First, there are those lost in the wilderness. Verses four through nine. They've lost their way. They are hungry, exhausted, and unsatisfied. It is a picture of the spiritual lostness and the spiritual hunger that the whole world experiences apart from Christ. This world is full of empty cisterns that cannot satisfy. And so many people in the world today feel homeless and they have no peace and no place to settle. They are wandering, lost, and without hope. That was our situation. Second, there are those trapped in darkness. Verses 10 through 16. These are people sitting in chains. They are bound by sin. They have sinned and rebelled against a holy God. Sin has enslaved them and they are unable to escape. They cannot break free from anger, from lust, from pride from discontentment, from sinful anxiety. They are enslaved to sin, unable to escape, and they are the objects of God's righteous wrath. That was our situation. 
Third, there are those who are weak and self-damaged. Verses 17 through 22. They are, they're fools who have made a mess of their lives through their own self-centered living. Their physical and spiritual health has been damaged because of poor decisions. Derek Kidner says that verse 18 could call to mind the drug addict, but only as one example of man's perennial determination to get hurt. We think of those with addictions. I talked to one man who when he read this said, oh, verse 18, isn't a loathing any kind of food is the exact description of what I once was when I was at my lowest as an addict. We think of those with addictions, those bent on folly, those overwhelmed by fear and discouragement. We can think more broadly of all those who are weak and sick. That was our situation. And fourth, there are those fearful in the storm, verses 23 through 32. They are in the storm at sea. They are threatened by forces beyond their control. It's a life full of turmoil, a life full of chaos. The outward storms of circumstances and the inward storms of sin, they are on a small boat in a massive storm and it is absolutely terrifying. All you have to do is live long enough to come to the realization that the problems of life are too big for us to manage. And that is why there will be no end to the self-help books that constantly come our way. But the fact is, all of our planning, all of our proactive leadership, all of our management skills, all of the self-help in the world is not enough. This is those who are storm-tossed and are at the end of themselves. They are desperate for peace and for calm and for hope and for rescue. That was our situation. And in each of these situations, the people of God are those who not only recognized their situation, but in that moment cried out to the Lord. They cried out because they knew there is nothing we can do left to ourselves. Those in the wilderness could not find their way. Those in the prison cell could not free themselves. Those who were sick could not heal themselves. And those in the storm could not deliver themselves. But friends, what man cannot do, God has done. God has done. You, you don't become a Christian. Oh, it brings me joy to know you're listening. And I know you are. You don't become a Christian by being morally superior. You become a Christian by crying out in desperation and humbly acknowledging, I need a Savior. And if you have never cried out to the... If you've never known desperation, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian if you've never experienced the desperation that is described in this passage. Fundamentally, to be a Christian is the realization of that moment of despair. That we are sinners before a holy God who deserve His righteous judgment. That we have, each one of us, made a mess of our lives. That we cannot change ourselves. That we cannot help ourselves. And this is the whole reason that God has acted in his salvation. If you have never cried out 
to the Lord for salvation, this is the day of salvation. God has brought you here to this place that you might see your need and experience your need perhaps as never before and call out to the Lord. And if you are among the redeemed who have cried out to him for mercy, this day remember what God has done for you. Remember and celebrate what God has done for you. To those lost, to those lost in the wilderness and wasteland of sin, God came into our desert place. He came to bring us home. He gives us an eternal city to dwell in, a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Once homeless, now brought into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he satisfies us in Christ so that we will never hunger or thirst again. Verse 9. Oh, and this is our experience, is it not? For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. And second, to those trapped and enslaved in the darkness of sin and death, Christ, by his death and resurrection, has set us free. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Verse 16, for he, the Lord, shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. The hymn says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. But then someone acted. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. I went forth. I followed thee. God has done it. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Friends, you have been set free from sin and death. And third to those who are weak and self-damaged. Verse 20, he sent out his word and healed them. The gospel makes us new creations. The gospel cleanses us, heals us, changes us from the inside out. God in Christ is restoring all that has been ruined by sin. And fourth, to those fearful in the chaos, Verse 29 says, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And verse 30, he brought them to their desired haven. That's what the gospel does. Christ is the master of the sea who entered into the storm to bring us to an eternal haven, a place of peace, peace and rest where we will dwell with God forever with all the redeemed. What a future, what a hope. When we wandered in the wilderness, he came after us and brought us into his city. When we were imprisoned in the darkness, he set us free. When we were sick, he healed us. And when we were storm-tossed, he rescued us. In every case, there is a deliverance that reveals the steadfast love of the Lord for the redeemed. And follow this. Follow this. Today we know about the steadfast love of the Lord in much deeper ways than the psalmist ever knew. 
Because God, in order to rescue us from our folly, misery, and sin, gave his son for us to die in our place. The greatest love the world has ever known is the dying love of our Lord Jesus Christ. No other love came at so great a cost. No other love is shown to such great enemies. No other love is so steadfast, so constant, so unchanging. No other love so richly blesses and transforms those who receive it. There is no love like the love of Calvary. Consider that moment of the cross. Friends, even now, once again, cast your mind to Calvary. Consider his bloody sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. See him bearing his own cross. Hear him then in agony crying out to the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is love. Here is love vast as the ocean. See the Prince of Life suspended between heaven and earth, shedding his precious blood. The cross is the pulpit of God's love. And from the doctrine of the unchanging nature of God, the fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we may know for certain that the heart of Christ for you today, from heaven's throne, is the same as it was that dying hour so long ago. He loves you no less than he did the day he died for you. Remember and never forget what you have been rescued from. Remember your past. Remember the story of God's rescuing love and give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, second point, verses 33 through 43, celebrate God's unchanging love in all his dealings with us. Unchanging love in delivering us from sin, and now through the end of the chapter, unchanging love in all his dealings with us. Verses 33 through 43 is the conclusion describing the times of adversity and abundance that God brings to his people all as expressions of his unfailing love to us. God leads and sustains his people through pain and through trial and through times of joy and abundance. Every mountain peak and every valley, every high and every low, there is one great constant that runs through it all. Namely, God's unfailing, unchanging love. In his love, he hears us in moments of distress. In his love, he works glorious reversals in our lives, turning grief to gratefulness, turning darkness to light, taking the barren place and making it a spring. Now, I want to say a word to those presently in affliction, and I know there are some dear saints here for whom I am very aware of the affliction that you are in, but perhaps there are others who 
bear burdens that I am unaware of. If you are presently experiencing affliction, if you are experiencing what verse 39 describes as oppression, evil, and sorrow, if you are in a situation where it perhaps may be difficult for you to perceive the love of God for you, remember, please remember this, that we must never measure God's love by the presence or absence of difficulty. Rather, we must always and forever measure his love by the reality of the cross. Christopher Ashe says this, commenting on this passage, the ups and downs of life are not evidence that God's love has strengthened or weakened. (laughs) We need to believe that. Because it's not the way we tend to roll. We go up, we think, oh, how God loves me, and then trials come, and where is the love of God? The ups and downs of life are not evidence that God's love has strengthened or weakened. Because we are in Christ, who fully and finally satisfied God's law, each one, every up and down, every blessing and hardship, each one is the constant outworking of his unchanging love. God really does love you. And that is always cause for giving joyful thanks to him. We believe in a big God who moves in mysterious ways, but this is true and this is our hope. God is sovereignly working everything Not some things, everything that you experience for your good and for his glory. All of it, all of it, whatever comes my way is the constant outworking of his unchanging love. Oh, for the faith to believe it and to rest in it and to trust in the Lord whose steadfast love endures forever. George Matheson was born in Scotland in 1842. By the time he was 18 years old, he was totally blind. And despite that disability, he went on to be an accomplished Bible scholar and teacher. When he was young, he had been engaged to be married as a teenager. But when his fiance discovered that he was going to be blind, she left him. And Matheson, as you can imagine, was absolutely devastated. Uh, His sister cared for him in his blindness. But then years later, his sister was engaged to be married. And Matheson was reminded of the heartbreak of the former relationship he had lost. And with his sister now entering marriage, those wounds were fresh. And years later, he still grieved that his desire to be married had not been fulfilled. And yet he knew that marriage does not complete or satisfy us most deeply. Only the love of Christ can do that. So the night before his sister's wedding, in the midst of his great sorrow and distress, he wrote one of the great hymns of the 19th century. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. You see what he did there? What was the realization? What do we fall back on? This truth that there is a love that will not let us go, that however much this world and friends 
and family may disappoint us, there is one whose love will never fail. And that is the one in whom we rest our weary souls. He had this unshakable hope, even in his darkest valley, of the unchanging love of God. Do you have that confidence today? Has your weary soul found rest in knowing there is a love that will never let you go? I love the great benedictions of Scripture, and one of my favorite benedictions in Scripture is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5. And I just want to give this to you so that you can take it with you today. This may be what God has for you in this service. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5 is this. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct, your heart's gonna be directed somewhere. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Friends, where is your heart directed today? Where will your heart be directed throughout this week? You will not go wrong in life if your heart is directed to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Why? Because human love will fail and human steadfastness will falter, but the love of God endures forever and the steadfastness of Christ is unchanging. John Stott says, our confidence is not in our love for God. (laughs) Don't put your confidence there. Our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but our confidence is in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. To live a life knowing and enjoying the unchanging love of God is the best life imaginable in this world. It is the whole secret to wisdom in life. Do you want to be a wise and discerning person? Verse 43, the psalm ends with this. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Meaning we gain wisdom by studying and discerning the unchanging love of God that is written on the pages of our lives. Brothers and sisters, there are 10,000 ways The steadfast love of God has been shown in his providential dealings with us. When I was a very proud young man, the steadfast love of the Lord convicted me of sin and brought me to tears of repentance. When my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, the steadfast love of the Lord sustained and comforted us and preserved her life. God's steadfast love has given me countless blessings every day that I do not deserve. Daily provision of food and clothing, a home, a church, friendships, a dream job, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Study your life, study your story, and you will find the unchanging love of the Lord is there in every season, through every storm, in every blessing. True wisdom is found in discerning and celebrating God's unchanging love in all of his dealings with us. Now, one more move, and that is this, that the conclusion 
of each of these four portraits of deliverance calls for thanksgiving and praise. We saw that throughout verse 18, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31, all repeat the anthem of the redeemed. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. The unchanging love and goodness of God in delivering us from sin and in every dealing with us all the days of our lives is intended to produce what? Intended to produce a life of thankfulness and praise in every one of us today. Let there not be one Christian in this place whose heart is not overflowing with thankfulness. May it be a mark of Redeemer Fellowship Church that you are, by the grace of God, a grateful people. May thankfulness mark your homes. May thankfulness mark marriages. May thankfulness mark friendships. That we may be a people of thanksgiving. Verse 22 says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. This is what your life is. Your life is to be an offering the sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. Is your heart filled with thankfulness? Would those who know you best describe you as a grateful person? If you have been delivered from sin and death, ultimately you cannot go through life downcast, discouraged, and defeated. You must join the choir of the redeemed giving joyful thanks for his steadfast love. The dominant note of the Christian life is praise because the dominant factor in God's dealings with us is his goodness. Let them offer, let each one of us offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and, verse 22, tell of his deeds in songs of joy. The hymn does not say, streams of mercy never ceasing call for whispers of praise. No, streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of God rise up and sing. God has gathered his redeemed. God has set his unchanging love upon you and God is calling the redeemed to rise up and sing and to declare his great goodness. Charles Spurgeon says this, whatever others may think or say, the redeemed have overwhelming reasons for declaring the goodness of the Lord. Overwhelming reasons. He says the redeemer is so glorious, yes he is, the ransom price so immense and the redemption so complete that they are under sevenfold obligations to give thanks to the Lord and to exhort others to do so. Christian, we have overwhelming reasons to praise Him. What a Redeemer! What a ransom price. What riches of mercy and love we have received and will receive forever. We have overwhelming reasons to give thanks to the Lord. I'd like to invite you to stand and the band to return. Here's the question I have for you, brothers and sisters. Has the Lord delivered you from your distress? Yes, yes He has. 
I'm going to, these are not rhetorical questions. I just need to know the answer from you. Has the Lord delivered you from your distress? Yes. Has the Lord brought you out of darkness and burst your bonds apart? Has he satisfied you with good things? Brothers and sisters, has he given you a song of joy? Then let the redeemed rise up and sing. Let the redeemed of God marvel at his unchanging love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's sing praises to his name. Amen.